we've got at least two anniversaries to uh, mark uh, at this particular service. We'll start with uh, kind of a sad one. I thought this was a couple of years ago. We were talking about this in the men's breakfast group this morning, but it was actually just a year ago that Jack Allen Chow died. He died on November 17th. And the backstory on anyone recognize that name? I wouldn't think you would. Uh, I'll give you the backstory on who that was. Um, there is an island called, uh, what is it, North Sentinel Island, which is in the Indian Ocean off the coast of the country of India, which is home to one of the few remaining hunter-gatherer tribes that is virtually untouched by the modern world. And in fact, the Indian government has gone to great efforts to, to try and allow that tribe to remain uh, uh, living uh, on its own on that island by their, their own cultural norms and expectations. Uh, and they've gone so far as to, to warn uh, anyone who is interested in going there that, that the Indian government will not protect anyone who goes there. Uh, and that, in fact, historically, anyone who has gone to the island has been attacked by the people who live there, uh, most typically with bows and arrows and spears, which is the extent of their weapons. John Allen Chow was a devoted Christian missionary who believed that everyone in the world should hear the gospel and that, in fact, the second coming of Christ cannot happen until everyone has heard the gospel. So approximately a year ago, he planned uh, a way of kind of clandestinely getting to the island, which he succeeded in, and he was almost immediately uh, killed by the people uh, who lived there. Which you know, is, a, is a, a sad and not good anniversary. Uh, however, within the broad spectrum of our Christian family, it, it does kind of reflect a, a small and kind of extreme part of the Christian family that has always paid, uh, I think, undue attention uh, to the apocalypse, to the end times. Uh, to the idea of a uh, historical second coming of Christ. And in fact has often felt that some action they take might in fact prompt that second coming to happen. John Allen Chow was apparently one of them. Uh, today's gospel lesson would uh, tell us otherwise, though it is about the end times. You should always know the context of everything. I already told you that it takes place in Holy Week. It's already taken place after Jesus has thrown the, the money changers' tables over in the temple. And right before tonight's gospel lesson, what you have is the story of Jesus uh, praising the faith of the, of the widow who gives her two coins to the box where money goes to help people who are poor, and he compares her offering as far greater than that given by people who put in far greater amounts of money but still have plenty left over so that they can eat dinner that night, something which the woman would have been unable to do. As is often the case in Luke's Gospel, it's as if the people around him do not even hear what he says. And, and, and having praised this woman, having uh, already, in a sense, uh, alerted them to the fact that there's something wrong with the system that has these money changers and, and, and takes um, money from this poor person when lots of other people could have stepped in to do what she probably 
needed to do, which was to care for others, but others could have done so much more with their resources. Something's not quite right here. Nobody hears that, and instead, what does everybody around him say? Ooh, Jesus, this temple is awesome. It's beautiful. And then he says, it ain't going to last. Not one stone will be left upon another. And, and I don't think, historically, he turns out to be very correct about that. Uh, the temple will be destroyed by the Romans in about uh, a generation and a half. But I don't think Jesus needed to be historically right about that. I think all Jesus was saying was, something's not right here. Uh, the, the priorities have shifted away from uh, worship of God and service of others to simply sustaining the institution. But they, again, don't hear it, right? Because they think to themselves, if that should ever happen to this place, that must be a sign of the end of the earth. In other words, this one building that's so important to us, if something happens to that, that must be a sign of the end of the earth. Talk about me-centered thinking. At which point Jesus says, no. I mean, you know, all the stuff that's always going on. Uh, nations fighting against nations, wars and earthquakes. Uh, that always goes on. That's not a sign of the end. But, we'll, we'll, but we'll, what will happen every once in a while, and that's starting at verse 12, is what's going to happen to me this week, which is that, that people do betray each other and that people do bear false witness and that uh, sometimes as a result of that, people get killed and... And yet in the midst of all of that, though, you might lose your life, not a hair on your head will be harmed. And of course, he doesn't mean physically. All he's saying is that God doesn't lose track of us in either the hardest of moments or the best of times. And whether the people who were surrounding him in that moment could hear any of that is hard to say. Whether we can hear any of it is hard to say. One last little statistic that you should track is that between Matthew, Mark, and Luke, the the first three Gospels, they each devote a little less than a chapter to apocalyptic end times material. Uh, So that means roughly 3% of their material uh, talks about that. If you include John, which has no mention of it, then less than 2% of the Gospels are devoted to talking about the, the end times, which is interesting because it was like the number one topic in the world and time in which Jesus lives. He, he, he could possibly have been talking about it 30, 40, 50% of the time. But Jesus is just always a good teacher. He wants us to be prepared for anything. There might be an occasion where one or two of us are put in a position where, in fact, we could be persecuted. But 98% of the time, that ain't the case. And so 98% of the time, the Gospels make sure they teach us about the things that we're more likely to have to be able to access, which is just how do you get out of your own way sometimes, and and how do you uh, try and put other people first in your life. And and if you're the father of a prodigal, uh, will you in fact welcome them back home? And if you are a good Samaritan, will, will you sacrifice and stop your journey to help the person along the way? These are the things that he teaches us first and most in the Gospels. But I said we had a second anniversary that we should be marking. 
And we're going to get there via the first lesson today, which Katrina read beautifully. Uh, it's not a really familiar section of scripture. I'd read it again at some point, if you have time. It's, it's originally a Hebrew poetry, and it's, uh, it's not intended to be a literal prediction of anything. But what it is, is it's the ending of, or the beginning of the ending of, of the book of Isaiah. And Isaiah is this amazing book written over a 200-year portion of Jewish history that begins by warning the Jewish people that you need to change or bad things are going to happen. You are messing it up. And again, they didn't listen. That seems to be a common human thing. And so terrible things do happen, and they end up in exile in Babylon. At which point, God could easily have just said, I told you so, you know, good luck. But instead, then the whole theme of Isaiah changes, and, and suddenly it is a book of comfort and consolation and tries to help people understand um, uh, some sort of meaning in the midst of suffering. And then towards the end of the book, as the people come back to, to Israel and the exile ends, it's a time of change and upheaval and anxiety. And, and then that's where today's first lesson gets written. And if you can put yourself in one of the worst moments of your life, but then have someone who's, who's walked with you in the midst of that. In other words, not somebody who doesn't understand you, somebody who gets what you've been through, maybe somebody who's been in your shoes. Then imagine a person like that writing something like the poem of Isaiah 65, this, this poem that, that, to the depth of its being, wishes for you and for all people good news and glad tidings and more than enough and a future and bridges that are built and not something that is, that is desperate and lost, but something that you can stake your life on. And that would have some legitimacy. That would have some power. That might keep you going. And the beauty of Isaiah 65 to me is that, like that entire book, which Jesus quotes all the time in his ministry, he doesn't even need to just quote it. It just kind of becomes him. There's a line in Isaiah 65 where, where it says towards the end, uh, you'll speak and before you're even done, God will hear. Think of when I referenced the prodigal son before. In that story, what happens when the prodigal comes back home? He's got his speech all rehearsed, right? And he starts to speak it. And he can't even get it out of his mouth because his father is already planning and throwing the party for him. In other words, Jesus understood Isaiah to the depth of his being. And that, though you and I every once in a while might need challenge and that every once in a while there may be persecution in this world, that those things don't define us nor can we really control them. What defines us and what we can control is whether we in fact choose to remain connected to our world, to welcome it, to invite it in, and to be a part of it 
and to add to its joy and gladness, not its suffering or its judgment. In other words, at some level, if it's about me, we always end up lost. I mean, think about it sometime. Anytime it's about your, your drama, your needs, your fears, and when you get consumed by that, that almost never turns out well. But if it's about we, in other words, when you remain connected to others and, and to God and keep that in perspective, then both for others and for you, there remains possibility in life. We need more we, less me. Oh, that other anniversary, November 18th, 1979. Raise your hand if you signed a charter for Cross of Life Lutheran Church that day. I think I see Box back here, Lee's back there, Ron's back there, and Barb's back there. Welcome back, Barb, by the way, who had a little surgery. So five people who uh, helped start this congregation at this place called Cross of Life Lutheran Church. Um, I kind of struggled to know, uh, out of all that history, what, what would you even talk about and, and what would the point be? And, and, and actually what I thought was, just sometimes you, you have to get at the essence of a place. And uh, I've been here for slightly more than half of that 40-year history. And the reason I came here in the first place, for better or worse, is the reason I'm still hanging around, people. <laughs> As, yeah, yeah is that there was a, a, a certain uh, ability to be joyous and to be able to laugh in this place that is not true in, in most churches, I think. And, and um, life is tough enough as it is to then go to some place to seek redemption and to find it to be joyless. And this place... Um, has not been joyless in the time that I have known it. And I don't think it was that way from the beginning. And so on the 40th anniversary, among other things, I, I give thanks for David Swenson, who was the person, the pastor, who uh, started this congregation. Uh, in the early days when I came here, there were still a lot of the, uh, the original crew was here. And I can't tell you how many times people told me that the reason they joined this church was because Dave Swenson came by, rang their doorbell, and came inside and had a beer with them. How many beers did David Swenson have evangelizing people to this congregation? What a great job. Man, this is why I came here as a pastor. Did you see the PAPS 99 packs, by the way, that they Anyhow, uh, there's something about Dave that knew how to connect and knew how to invite. And that remains a blessing for us to this very day. Uh, another thing that has always struck me as unique about this congregation is how many visits we've had here from first responders over the years. So, for example, the first time we played a game called Crazy Uncle, which is flashlights in the middle of the night, the building literally ended up being surrounded by the police because one of the neighbors thought the place was being burglarized. 
we set Kathy Conrad outside to like surrender and say, we're all here. And they still play that game, and there's still something funny about all that. By the way, we've had more than our share of uh, visits here by the fire department, usually due to false alarms. That's kind of amazing when you think about it, that we've never had a fire here, even though we send 8- to 12-year-old acolytes up and down this aisle three times a weekend with open flames. Not to mention Christmas Eve. We're still standing, people. We know how to deal with winter. Back in the winter of 2,000, 49 inches of snow robbed us of 25% of our parking spots. We just came up with a shuttle surface to Ikers. And in 2008, we had our one and only uh, Ash Thursday service because, of course, there were 12 inches of snow on Ash Wednesday. Through little things and big things, um, I hope we can remain at some level what we in our better moments have been, which is, if you're going to open the doors, it better be open to the old people and the young people, to the rich people and to the poor people, to the people who have been turned away, to the people who have been judged, to the people who have been welcomed all along, to the people who think of it as home, to the people who wished they just belonged in one place. This is a reason to exist and be. And I would say in another 40 years, I'll be 100. I think I'll be here. <laughs> Maybe not. I, I don't know if any particular face right here will be now. But I can tell you this. Uh, whether her specific face is here or not, I'm fairly confident that the, the one spirit most of all that will still be in this place will be Gail Anklum, who will be in the nursery on Sunday morning still changing diapers because more than anybody she understands how important it is to welcome the little children and like Jesus did, to take them up in our arms and to bless them. Speaking of which... Also, possibly here in four years, if you want to switch me over, Dylan, you can also, you can just go to the next slide, by the way. Keep going, keep going. There you go. Uh, we've been waiting and waiting for baby Lorbeck to show up, and uh, I'm pretty sure Gail is going to get a chance to change his diapers at some point. Uh, let's see, 10 pounds, one ounce. 23 inches and not named yet, but we will wait for that excitement thing. Everybody is healthy. Good news, people. Done.